Moses was highly regarded by the people of Egypt simply because God was with him. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We're going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And in a few minutes, we're going to talk about Exodus chapter 11. It is a good day to read the Bible. Corey is here. Corey? Well, I'm going to take some time to talk about some of these early miracles that we see recorded in Genesis and Exodus. Ryan? I'm going on location today to talk about the Exodus. Some people believe this couldn't have been a real historical event because of how many people were involved. So we'll see if that's true a little bit later on in the program. Look forward to that. That's coming up in about 25 minutes time. Janice? Well, today's Friday and you know what that means. It's our Friday wrap up question. So today I'm going to ask a question anywhere from Genesis chapter 41 all the way through to Exodus 13. Exodus 11, 1 through 10. And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these, your servants, shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. After that I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Exodus 11, verses 1 through 10. Exodus 11, Exodus 12, and Exodus 13. These are three chapters as we read through the Bible, which are very interesting today. You know, we're talking about Pharaoh in the midst of all of this, and Pharaoh had at least 10 chances to avoid the plagues of Egypt, but he refused to bow to the one true God. Now, this is interesting because it's Pharaoh's hardness of heart that brings to the final plague of Egypt the death of the firstborns. 
God made a promise and to the people of Israel that he would keep them and free them from the land of Egypt. God always keeps his promises. All the firstborns of Egypt did not have to die. Pharaoh could have chosen to lift the bondage of Israel, and the plagues would have stopped. It was the collective decisions of Pharaoh that caused the crushed hearts of Egypt, not God. Eventually, Pharaoh and his army would leave Egypt and pursue the Israelites after their exit in an attempt to kill them. Now, Pharaoh himself probably would die in this battle against God's people. Rebellion against the God of the universe? It's always a non-starter. I mean, you can't rebel against the God of everything. And that's something that we need to think about and consider as we continue to read this very, very interesting passage. Take your Bible guide, this is it, and turn to today's passage because this is fascinating as it directs us to read through the most important book of all, and that is the book of the Bible. And as we read through it, we will learn. Now, if you don't have a Bible guide, let me encourage you to get one from us. You can call us or you can write to us or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And BibleDiscoveryTV.com, if you click on it, it will take you to a page and you'll eventually download it just as we have printed it. It's absolutely beautiful. And a lot of people are doing that, so we want to encourage you that that's available to you as well. Now let's pray because the final plague, and these plagues did not have to happen, did not have to go down like this, but Pharaoh was just so stubborn in his heart. He thought he was God. And so we need to pray, Father, help us today as we look at stubbornness in individuals, in human nature, and we look at the way we strive against you and make decisions against you, Lord. Help us, Father, to hear the heart of Pharaoh and to avoid it and listen to the heart of God. This is what we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all said together, make it so. Amen. Now, with that in mind, we come to the first scripture. And it says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Now, this is fascinating. Moses was highly regarded by the people in Egypt because God was with him. God was with him. You see, the Lord gives his people favor when they serve him. Let me tell you something that is absolutely true. In life, when we go through life and we seek the face of God and we ask for God to help us to make the right decisions, then God anoints that. It means he sets us apart to do the right things. And when we're set apart to do that, people pay attention to us because we're acting differently than others around us. That becomes very important as we look at our witness for Christ. Now we go on to chapter 11, verses 4 through 8, and we read more about this. Then Moses said, Thus 
says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out into the midst of Egypt. And all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the hand mill and all of the firstborn of the animals. And then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall it be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptian and the Israeli. This is important. And all of these, your servants, shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you, after that I will go out. And then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. I want to tell you something. This is absolutely fascinating. God let it be known that death would come to Egypt if Pharaoh did not let the people go, let the Israelites go. You see, God knows the future. He sees our decisions. That's something to think about when we pray. God already knows the decisions that we have made. God already understands the moves we've created. And we haven't created them yet because the Lord knows everything. Now, he allows us to make those decisions, but he just knows how we're going to choose. So God is amazing. Now, he knew that about these people, and he knew that about Pharaoh and all the decisions he would make. So what does God do? Well, this gets interesting now, so let's go back to the scripture and read some more. The Bible continues to say in verse 9, But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Notice that. My wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Pay attention to that. Verse 10. So Moses and Aaron did all of these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Now, I, I, this is absolutely stunning. I, I want to tell you this. Pharaoh made all the decisions that turned God's wrath towards Egypt. See, God's wrath was turned towards Egypt. Governments will make decisions that God reacts to. That's inevitable. But when we serve God, we will live. Now, I know that because the Bible tells us that in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9. It says that we are destined for the salvation of God. We are not destined for the wrath of God. And beloved, when we make a decision and we begin to turn our lives in the direction of God and we begin to say, Lord Jesus, help me to live my life appropriately as you desire me to live. Help me, Father. Then, then things change for us and God forms a path for us and we go in that path, which is watched over and which is protected. Now, let me ask you a question. Is your life protected? Is your path protected? Let me tell you something. If you're going in the direction that God has you, it is. But if not, you might want to consider praying and asking the Lord to give you the ability to live your life according to His Word. That's very important. 
So obviously, as we continue to read through Exodus, we've seen quite a lot of supernatural intervention by God in the lives of the, this Israelite nation. I mean, for them, it probably felt like a long time of nothing. And then here in this generation of Moses, uh, they're, they're now starting to be redeemed. And God is, you know, the Bible records it as God remembering them. That's not as if he's forgotten in, in the sense that we would mean it, but he hadn't been acting on their behalf. So he remembered them actively and began working on their behalf is likely how we should take that phrase. So with God's working, with the supernatural uh, miracles going on, uh, with the plagues of Egypt and things like that nature, how should we respond as modern people in an age of science? How should we respond to this? Take a look. The Bible records many amazing actions of God within its pages, face-to-face -face talks, supernatural creatures, one-time natural events as a direct result of God's interference, like the flood, the rainbow, and the ten plagues of Egypt. The Bible records miracles like the Red Sea crossing, the stopping of the Jordan, and the destruction of the walls of Jericho. Today's Western world finds these events intolerable. If we don't see or experience these things today, then they must be impossible, which we should be reminded is a part of the definition of a miracle, something very unusual that without the outside interference of God would be impossible. People have responded to the miracles of the Bible in many ways. Wholesale rejection of them as myth or legend, wholesale acceptance of them as possible for a creator God, and attempts at explanation that often reach into the natural world. Perhaps, for example, the stopping of the Jordan River during Joshua's conquest of Canaan was caused by an earthquake, since the Bible says the water flow was stopped up in a heap at the city of Adam, and to this day, earthquakes and landslides are known to periodically cause interruptions in the river's flow. Natural explanations like this go some way in making us modern men feel more comfortable. But when analyzed more closely, even if the Jordan was stopped by a landslide, the chances of it stopping right when the priests carrying the ark began walking into the river are astronomical. In other words, it would still be classified as a miracle of God who told the Israelites when to walk into the Jordan in the first place. Other natural explanations seem to expose our willingness to believe in anything but miracles, or perhaps on the other hand, to try to scientifically bolster the credibility of our belief in the God of the Bible. Good examples of this are found in the natural explanation theories given for the Ten Plagues of Egypt. Popular theories see harmful algae invade the Nile due to violent storms upriver, or likewise a harmful organism invades the Nile and begins attacking fish. These are equated to the first plague of the Nile River turning to blood, which then begins a chain reaction that accounts for the first six plagues. While these theories seem to offer intriguing possible methods for the miracles of God, they only potentially account for the first six plagues, with a new sequence of natural events needed for the final four. They're also not evidenced by any known activity in the area. Scholar Brad C. Sparks has convincingly shown these explanations themselves would require rather miraculous circumstances to begin in the Nile. One of the algae in question naturally occurs in stagnant or slow-flowing rivers, not at all matching the description of the Nile, and others only occur in cold temperatures, making them incompatible with the tropical Nile. Interestingly, these natural explanations themselves would still require something rather miracle-like to have occurred. Whichever way we cut it, the Bible serves us a challenge. The question is, how will we respond?
Look, I think the uncomfortable truth for our culture is that, you know, the fact that there's life at all is miraculous. So wherever you land on the spectrum of believing the supernatural or believing in something other than just the physical world, there's weird stuff that that happens in our world. There's miracles on both ends of that. And if you believe in a God who cre- who, who created all of this and, and uh, you know, who can make life out of nothing, it is absolutely nothing to believe that he can also reach into nature and reach into history and reach into the future and act on humanity's behalf as well. So as uncomfortable, I think, in our modern culture, Culture, some of these supernatural events recorded in the scripture can make us, and as, a, as skeptical as it can make us, I don't think that we should just have to naturally explain everything or feel that urge. We have to naturally explain this. I don't think we do because, uh, you know, if you believe that there is a God who, who, exists outside of our physical world, then he can definitely reach in on occasion. Yeah. You know, God is not here to make us feel comfortable. Definitely uh, not. <laughs> and, you know, we, we are bent on that idea, but that's not what God is here to do. He's here mm-hmm. to tell us that there is hope and there is a way to reach him through Jesus Christ. Very good, Corey. Thank you. Right. All right. Well, as I mentioned off the top, I'm going on location again today to talk about the Exodus. And specifically, we're going to be focusing on the numbers because the Bible records that there were 600,000 able men involved in the Exodus. But if we include women, children, and infirm men, then the number would be more like two to three million people. And a lot of people have wondered how it was possible that this many people could have made the journey. As a matter of fact, this is one of the reasons some reject this Exodus event as historical. But is this belief, is this unbelief justified? Let's see. Hi friends, it's Ryan Hembry here. And in this video, I'm gonna be investigating the Exodus story recorded in the Bible because some say that it never could have happened. Why? Because of how many Israelites were involved. But wait a minute, let's see what the Bible has to say about it. All right, as I mentioned, one of the main issues people have with the Exodus story is the sheer number of people involved. According to Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, there were about 600,000 men on foot besides children. But if we include children and women and infirm men, then this number would be more like two to three million people, which seems rather unrealistic. While it is true that the Bible makes a point of how fertile the Israelites were in Egypt, to extrapolate a population growth trajectory from 12 patriarchs to 2 to 3 million in the window of only several centuries would be absolutely mind-boggling. Such a great multitude would also create all sorts of logistical problems. Not only would it be extremely difficult to get that many people out of Egypt and across a path through the sea, but it would also create problems later when they set up camp in the desert. Let's not forget that the tribes of Israel camped around the tabernacle in a very orderly fashion. But given the dimensions of the tabernacle, this arrangement would hardly be feasible, even if the Israelites numbered as few as one million. And another issue with such a large population is that the Minerpta Stele, dated to the 13th century BC, mentions Israel, and it seems to suggest that they were small compared to some of the other nations. But if Israel numbered between two and three million, then they would have been the most populous nation on earth. So is the biblical text wrong then? Did the author of the Exodus miscount or did he purposely inflate the numbers? Well, I don't believe so. And neither do biblical scholars like Dr. Nicholas Perrin. 
In his book, The Exodus Revealed, he points out that the key Hebrew word here is alif, which in the standard translations is interpreted as thousand. So the Bible literally reads that there were 600 alif fighting men. Okay, so if it doesn't mean thousand then, then what does it mean? Well, one possibility is that alif should be translated as family or clan. As a matter of fact, this is exactly how the same term is used in Judges chapter 6, verse 15, where Gideon says, my clan, or alif, is the weakest. So if this is the way the word is being used in Exodus 12, 37, then it's actually reporting that 600 families worth of fighting men were leaving Egypt. Now, it's also possible that alif means something like platoon or squadron, more or less as we have it in Numbers chapter 1, verse 16, where it says, these are the ones selected from the congregation, the leaders of the ancestral tribes, the heads of the squadrons of Israel. If each squadron here represented a corresponding clan, and if each squadron was only constituted by 10 or so fighting-aged men drawn from each clan, then this is quite a game-changer as far as the numbers are concerned. In fact, this would take it from 2 to 3 million down to only about 28,000 at the most, a much more feasible number. So this discussion centers around that Hebrew word elif. Though it's usually translated as thousand here, more than likely it should be rendered as family, clan, or squadron. So rather than 600,000 men, it would be 600 families, clans, or squadrons. And as I said, this would drastically reduce the number of total people involved. It would bring it from two to three million people down to around 28,000 maximum. So this number, this number issue isn't an issue at all. But if you'd like to continue this discussion, then please do check out the full video on my YouTube channel. And the channel name is just my name, Ryan Hembry. And in that video, I deal with two more questions related to the Exodus, including where the Israelites crossed over on dry ground, and if the splitting of the sea was even possible. And I'm going to be releasing videos like this frequently on my YouTube channel, so make sure to subscribe and turn on the notification bell so that you'll be notified when I upload a new video. Also, please share them because we want to spread the truth of God's word and see many, many people come to Christ. And of course, Corey has a YouTube channel as well, which is your name. Yes, Corey Babechko. And what did you do on the weekend and how did the show go? All right. So we do, I do a 10 minute uh, recap that's super quick. So if you fall behind on your reading in 10 minutes every weekend, I can get you caught back up so that you can start fresh uh, the following week. And my husband joins me uh, on the weekend show and we answer your questions, viewer questions, uh, as well as just questions that the biblical text brings up for us that we've read that week. So uh, yeah, check out my YouTube channel for for all of that, if you're interested. Look forward to that. That's good. Uh, and the YouTube channel is Corey's name. So uh, do that. Janice, the question. Question. There should be an echo. <laughs> the question. Right. question. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There it is. All right. So uh, off the top, I said it could be anywhere from Genesis 41 through to Exodus 13. So here is the question for you at home and for Ryan and Corey who have to answer it on air. Here we go. When Joseph sent the brothers back to Canaan to bring back Benjamin, which brother did Joseph take as prisoner? Was that Reuben, Simeon, or Judah, one of those brothers had to stay behind until the other brothers brought Benjamin back. 
You guys Which are making of signs over there. <laughs> we're making so, signs because well, cause we're in the hot seat here. We gotta <laughs> we gotta it. confer. Yeah, we gotta make sure. So have you conferred? Have you made sure? We have conferred, yeah. and and because uh, it, it was either last week or the week before, I did a, a piece on the brother Judah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've looked into this carefully with the names. So I believe mm. the answer to be number two, which is Simeon. Simeon. That's right. So if you chose Simeon, then you are right. Good for you. All right. So we always have to check out the answers, make sure that I'm not only asking the question properly, but giving the right answer. So here's the scripture reference. It's Genesis 42, verse 24. And he, that's Joseph, turned himself away from them, that's his brothers, and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Of course, that was devastating to their father Jacob mm-hmm. when he got home because he said, I've lost, I've lost Jacob now. Mm-hmm. I've lost, or I've lost Joseph. Joseph. Mm-hmm. I've lost Simeon now. Mm-hmm. And now you want me to lose Benjamin? So yep. you can imagine the dilemma yeah. that these brothers were in. This was not and, good. And I don't think it was a mistake that Joseph chose Simeon, the, the second born of Jacob, because Reuben had made himself, he had lost his place as firstborn son. So Joseph would have known that. So he chose the, the next firstborn son in mm, line, in yeah. order. So you so had the another four, hint yeah. that he the knows first, what's going on. Then the first yeah. four are Reuben, Simeon, Judah, or uh, Levi, Levi, Levi and Judah. Yeah. And uh, it's, it becomes very interesting as you begin to study this comes into Genesis 49, and that's the blessing of Jacob. It's very interesting, who's also called Israel, because God called him Israel. All right, let's get back to prayer time. Good job, yes. Let's get back to prayer time as we listen. We have a brand new program called Beyond the Call, testimonies about people and talking about what they're doing beyond their call. And I want to tell you that you can watch it online at YouTube, Pastor Rod Hembry on YouTube. Look it up. You can watch it. Very important. All right. As we pray, we pray, Lord, I need to live my life according to your word. Help me to know your word and help me to do so. Amen. 